All right. Hey, so good to worship with you all. And um, Jessica was telling us that uh, we already sponsored 255 kids for our gifts. And um, uh, that was more than last year. And so it's just good news. You know, we'll see how that goes. And uh, we do have another week for that. And also for the uh, Make-A-Wish for our uh, home on the green pastures, families, uh, moms and kids, uh, we want to really blow them away with our generosity. And um, we at Irvine took two families, and we want to give them as many things that they want for them and their kids um, as they are going through the worst time of their life. We want some people of God to, um, you know, really bless them. And so uh, we still have another week of being generous uh, through church. And so please um, uh, pick that up on your way out. And I think it'll be wonderful, all right? Um, and then next week's events that are coming up, I am sure we are all busy, and, uh, but the lunch on Sunday um, to meet these kids, and this isn't, they're, they're a little bit older, so it's, there's 55 of them signed up to come out. Now, I have teenagers, and they never want to hang out with grown-ups or adults, you know, and um, uh, for them to say they want to actually come, it's optional. They're not forced to. Um, says a big deal, and I remember I think it was uh, last year's um, party, and I was playing, trying to play two-on-two basketball with one of the, a couple of the guys, and I don't think they were too impressed with my basketball skills because these guys were so good, and um, I just was watching them and trying not to hurt my sacrifice that I offer for them to play basketball. But but more than that, right, is that man? There's these people, these Christians. Uh, they just are interested in me and my school and my hobbies and what it's like. And so that's coming up next Sunday, just right up the street in Tustin Ranch. Um, and so we would love to uh, have a, a good presence there as they are excited and ready to come. And uh, we want to throw them a wonderful Christmas party as well. All right. Um, today, we, I want to talk to you about entering into God's presence. Um, and in any significant relationship, meal, shaking their hand in person, even though we have technology to do, you know, uh, you know, FaceTime and emails and all that, there's nothing like sitting there with a person. And so people fly all over every week to go and meet their clients and their business partners and so on. Um, couples, you know, uh, when they first fall in love, you know, you, you, in order to now continue and stay in love, you have to uh, be there in person. And you have to spend time, and you have to go and do things together. And uh, eventually that leads to a deeper, stronger relationship. And obviously with parents with children, nothing says good parenting like time. Nothing. So it's not the best toys and the, the funniest dad or the coolest mom. It's time. How much time am I spending? Am I out there playing catch, teaching them how to throw? You know, am I staying up past 10 o'clock, right? Like I have been doing lately tutoring geometry for my younger one and um, re having to relearn the whole lesson because I can't remember, you know, so I'm on conacademy.com and I have to watch it. Oh, okay. And she only asked me the hard ones, like, oh, this is the bonus one that the teacher couldn't figure out. Can you do it? I get extra. And um, there are times she questions if I've taken geometry. Relationships. Relationships happen when we spend time in person. And our relationship with the Lord is in the same way. 
you have the opportunity to go and spend time with God. A lot of people today in the church, they treat God like um, a celebrity or a historical figure. You admire them from afar. You admire LeBron James from afar, and if you're a sports fan, you say, oh gosh, he, he has a son who's in high school playing basketball, and LeBron James is so good, and he's on the Lakers, and you know things about or you treat God sometimes like a historical figure. You say, oh gosh, you know, Abraham Lincoln was a great man. And, you know, these are the facts I read and the reports that I've done. And I know things about him. And there's a day we set aside to remember him, his birthday and so on. And we remember him and we respect. But there isn't this interaction. And God is more than just a celebrity who is now giving us status updates. And we get to learn a little bit about them or a historical figure that we could respect on some of the deeds that was done in the past, but God is someone who, in our closest of relationships, says, I want to be together. And I want you to hear from me. And I want this to impact your life. And so I want to encourage us to think about that here today. You know, the Christians in the 16th century used to use this term, uh, this Latin phrase called coram deo, C-O-R-A-M-D-E-O, coram deo. It means before the face of God. Before the face of God. And what they meant by that was that they wanted to live their lives every day before the face of God, in the presence of God. And so it wasn't, they weren't trying to separate the secular and the sacred. And sometimes we do that. You know, Sunday is set aside for church, but work is just work, and play is just play. Saturday is just Saturday, but Sunday is a little different. But what they wanted to do was live life uh, every day in the presence of God. You have this kind of access to God. And so that was something that they lived by. You know, R.C. Sproul uh, gives this uh, illustration about this term, Karam Deo. He says, this means that if a person fulfills his or her vocation as a steelmaker, attorney, or homemaker, karam deo, then that person is acting every bit as religiously as a soul-winning evangelist who fulfills his vocation. It means that David was as religious when he obeyed God's call to be a shepherd as when he was anointed be, to be the king. It means that Jesus was every bit as religious when he worked in his father's carpenter shop as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So the idea is that God's presence is with us all the time. And I'm not here to guilt you on technique and guilt you with the frequency of this or whatnot, but I'm saying this is where our power comes from. This is our relationship with God. This is our connection. You know, there a lot of times I go back uh, to Psalm 23 and I go hash through that again and again and again. And one of the things that Psalm 23 tells us is that God is with us, right? And that's why it is the most popular of Psalms. God is with us. He's my shepherd. So in green pastures and still waters, during the good times, he's guided me there. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, you are with me. So when I'm going through the valley, it's okay, God is still there. Even in the presence of my enemies, he prepares a table. He's there sitting with me. He's fellowshipping with me. And God is personified here. Uh, these words are personified as God here. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a, a continual reminder, it's gonna be okay. God is still with me. 
And I might be in the valley, but God is still with me. I might have plenty and some good fortune, and I got a raise, I got a bonus, I got a promotion, and I got a new house, and it's, boy, it's green pastures and still waters, and it's plenty. God is still there. God provided. And I might be having to deal with politics and people who are against me, and I say, how do I deal with that? It's okay, God is still sitting there. He is eating there with me. Doesn't that change everything? I mean, doesn't that, can't you literally feel the burden just kind of, ah, God's with me. You know, the writer of Hebrews, um, a lot of commentators talk about this, but the the main uh, problem that the writer of Hebrews addresses is how do we approach God? How do sinful people approach now a perfect God? And that's why he hashes through all of the religious systems and the priests and the great high priests. And, and we went through all of that, you know, the holy of holies and all the things inside and how what day and what time of the year they would approach it. All of those things couldn't allow us to approach God. And this problem that the readers of Hebrews and the Christians or the, not, uh, uh, the people had, uh, we sometimes take it for granted. We don't realize Boy, how big it is that I can approach God. How important it is that I could be with God. I could walk with God. Uh, It says here, Hebrews 10.22 is the verse we're going to focus on today. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. And so chapter 10, verse 22, is this kind of culmination of everything. It's the, the, you know, the climax of the book of Hebrews. All of these things God has done. All of the things that's been going on in the Old Testament. All the ways that the priests used to do these things. All of these things now meets here. And it goes to the end of chapter 10. It says, this is now how you ought to live. This is the good news. This is what it looks like in real life. You can now draw near to God. You can go to God. Hebrews, um, throughout the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, 16 uses that phrase about drawing near. Chapter 7, 25, drawing near. Chapter 11, 6, with faith you could draw near, right? Uh, Chapter 10, verse 1, it says the old ways you couldn't draw near, right? It's interesting in chapter 10, verse 1, Right, The old ways, it can never, and it says, make perfect those who draw near. The law didn't allow us to draw near. What made us draw near? Right? And that's what we're going to see today. What is it that allows us to draw near, and how should we approach God? Right? How can we draw near to God? Um, in this statement, and just from verse 19 through 22, right? 22 is our big statement, draw near to God. The previous few verses has this phrase, uh, the uh, sense statements. Sense this and sense that, or because of this and because of that, now you can draw near. So what allows us? And the first sense statement is in, we see in verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, We can approach God not because we have been good enough. Our confidence comes from somewhere else, he's saying. And so it's not because you are religious, boy, you are so faithful that you have been so good. No, he says it comes from somewhere else. Our confidence comes from something else. And it's not in our works. 
you know, I think one of the things that we as Crossway, we want to do so much on every Sunday that you come to church, and it is tempting to get very practical um, and to walk away like it's a TED Talk and say, boy, three ways to develop friendships, four ways to manage your time, five ways to deal with stress. And so, um, yeah, the Bible is practical in a lot of ways. But the main thing we want you to walk away from is not to hear what I've done or what I could do, but to hear and sing and have your minds filled on Sundays with what God has done. This is what God has done for me. This is what Christ did on the cross for me. And I think we cannot hear that truth enough because it impacts now how we live. And so it's not so much techniques on how to live as a Christian, but it's to come together and say, wow, this is who God is and what he's done for me. And this is how it impacts me. And so we want to get this across, and this is what he is saying since. It's interesting, you know, uh, it is tempting for us uh, to approach God with our resumes and our good deeds, right? And, and Jesus tells that parable in Luke 18 about the Pharisee and the tax collector, the religious separatist, and the one who was a, a sellout for money, the, the tax collector, and the prayer, they both go to the temple and pray, and we know the story so well, where the Pharisee goes and he prays and he reports to God all the things he's done. I fast twice a week, I tithe all that I get, um, and I'm not like the unjust adulterers or the tax collector extortion. And he's standing by himself. He doesn't want to stand with the rest. He is standing by himself in the front, and he is reporting to God, this is what I've done. Aren't you impressed? And he says, whereas the tax collector is in the back, he is beating his breast, and he is saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so this here is pointing out the confidence that the tax collector has is not because he was a righteous person, no. The confidence that the, righteous, the, the tax collector had was in the righteousness of Christ. And secondly, the sec, second sense statement is found in verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of Israel... So it's not in me, but it's in him, it's saying. The priest that is greater than the human priest, Jesus Christ, over the house of God. Over us here, this house of God. He is over us. And so he says, come on in. He says, I've paid the price, don't worry about it. He says, come on in, we have access to him. And Therefore, since we have this confidence, therefore, since we have a great priest over us, we can approach God. This is the good news. And this has been the goal of the gospel ever since Genesis. Man walked with God in the garden before sin entered. Um, you go all the way through. It's a, it's a story of God trying to walk with his people. And then it gets all the way till the birth of Christ. And when he is born, he is called, what, Emmanuel. God is with us. This is the good news. And then he now is with us, and he has solved humanity's greatest problem. How can I approach God? And he is with us. And Revelation uh, closes with this uh, truth in 21.3, right? The, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. And so this is the picture that it'll culminate here. You know, we talk often about heaven. And we try to talk about, and, and you know, the, the place of heaven. The imagery that's used in the book of Revelation to describe heaven. And we say, boy, it's going to be great. 
right? Uh, you know, pearly gates and gold streets and whatever it is in light. And, you know, it's still, as a human, you say, well, what does that look like? You know, I guess it looks like Irvine. What is that? You know, is it nicer than Irvine? Is it like Disneyland? You know, is it nicer than South Coast Plaza, right? I mean, that place is about as shiny as it gets. Is it? I mean, so we say, wow. But what is important is not the place that he himself is heaven. He himself will be the one we go to. So how the culmination of it has happened. How do we approach, what do we do now? Right? And I want to just highlight a few thoughts here. I want us, first of all, to think about approaching God regularly, daily. Karam Deo all the time. To be in the face of God in all that you do. But we're not just talking about a, a pantheistic idea. Boy, God is in the trees, and God is in the waves, and God is in, in this, and God is in the rainbows and the clouds. Um, no, the idea that I am personally walking with God regularly. It says here in verse 22, right? Let us draw near, right? Verse 22. Let's read that verse out loud together once, all right? Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he says here, let us draw near. That command there is in the original language is called the present tense, right? It's very technical, but it's the idea. It's a, um, you could say, let us continually, let us regularly. It's not something you do every day. Uh, once in a while, you do it all the time, right? So let us draw near. It's not something that's done once and that's it. It's this idea of approaching God all the time. I go to God all the time. Um, you think about this and you say, oh, I'm so busy. If I could just break it down, even daily, somehow to spend some time. Every person that is important in your life, you spend time with. How foolish it is, it is it to ignore your spouse because you're distracted by other things. Um, and sometimes we get caught doing the trivial things so much that we forget who is important. And even career and work and all of those things are important, but how foolish it is to neglect our children because I need to go out and earn some more. I need to go and check my emails when I get home. I need to do this. I need to do how. And so on our, in our greatest of relationships, how difficult and how foolish would it be to be too busy for the God who loves us? You know, there's a, an article in the New York Times called the, that was titled The Busy Trap, and it kind of went viral, and a lot of people were quoting it. But it talks about the, the idea of busyness. Why, do we, why are we so busy? And the article says this, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. He says, why are you so busy? And he says, we use busyness. We are using busyness to now guard against our own feelings of meaninglessness. And so it's okay not to be so busy. Um, there's a term that uh, a man named Dr. Um, Richard Swenson, a Christian physician, uh, 
term this idea of having margin in your life. That we should have more margin in our life. So the idea of margin, he says, is this, the space between our load and our limits, right? Our load and our limits. So what that looks like is this. I got to get to lunch today. You have a lunch appointment at 12. From here, it's going to take you 25 minutes. You say, well, I'll, I'll leave at, uh, you know, 11.35. 25 minutes. There's no margin there. And church starts at 10.30. And I try to get there by 10.30. But I'm leaving at 10.25. You know, like, there, there's no margin there. Your budget for whatever is $1,000 a month. You have this extra budget to spend for $1,000 a month, and you've been spending $999. I mean, and then something else comes up. A flat tire comes up, or you got to fix something at home. The water heater goes up. And you say, oh, man, I'm stressed out. I have, we have to have more margin. And so let me encourage you to not look at this so much, not care about the trivial things in life. Who cares where, who, where they ate last night, and who cares what they did yesterday? And just sit with God and to spend time with him, to have some time but margin in your life. I could quote unquote waste some time with him. And you think about the time you spend with your loved ones. You, there is no wasted time, really, is there? Um, you don't have to have an agenda all the time. With your loved ones, you just spend time folding laundry, doing dishes, doing the little things. But as long as you're doing this together with your loved ones, it's not wasted time. To spend more time in this way. Now, secondly, is to approach him with a humble sense of confidence. And I know that sounds almost like an oxymoron, a humble confidence. It says here in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So don't go to God and say, God, I don't know if you're there. God, uh, I'm not sure it's been so long. God, I'm so sorry. God. Um, but you come to God with this assurance. Why? Because the latter part of that verse says our hearts are sprinkled clean. Our bodies are washed with pure water. This idea of our thoughts or our hearts are cleaned and our, our outer deeds have been clean, cleaned by God. So some of us say, well, gosh, you know, if God, God knows what I've been doing. You know, he's like Santa Claus. He sees, you know, if I've been naughty or, you know, like, and, and gosh, how am I going to go to him? Or I haven't talked to him in so long. Come to him because he has cleansed us. I saw a video uh, recently and there's a, you know, and I love these videos, right? Um, and then as, uh, as close as my daughter is getting ready to go to college, you know, um, I never cried so much, right? Like having daughters have changed my life, right? And uh, um, so I, I like tear up on, on things that I would laugh at myself over. But the video, the, the son who I think was here studying for years, he was sent over from, um, he came over from Africa and he hadn't seen his younger brother and his mom for years, because he's here studying, couldn't afford to bring him over, and they, you know, come on over, right? And the, the younger brother, you know, surprises him, and he's hugging, and just can't let go, and he's in disbelief. And you see the guy holding the phone, or whatever, the camera is there in the angle, so the mom's in the kitchen, they're having this love fest here, and mom is there crying. Mom hadn't popped out yet. He hadn't seen his mom in years. And then mom pops out, right? And he falls to the ground, and he's like, I can't believe it. And, he's, and they're hugging and crying, and I'm like, oh, you know, let's go watch some lions, kill some hyenas, something else. You know, this is too much. Um, but the son doesn't come to a parent and says, 
can I come over? You know, it's been so long. I, I've been a good child. Ah, oh, gosh, you know. I haven't called. Ah, I forgot to write that card. Is it okay? Can I make an appointment? The child just shows up. The child just shows up as I'm here, and the mom comes running, the dad comes running. And the moment we go to God, I think there is that expression of emotion happening in heaven where he says, oh, so good to hear. What have you been doing? How are you? God, you know, I've been, you know, I kind of been living like an atheist, but I believe in you. It's okay, come here. And I think there is that kind of a welcome. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across to us. He's saying, you couldn't approach God in your righteousness. The law didn't allow you to approach God. And you had the biggest life dilemma. How do I get to God? Hey, Christ has opened the door. And you can go to him with full assurance of faith. That you are clean. God has cleansed you. And this is what the gospel is, that he has cleansed you. He has cleansed your hearts, cleansed your bodies. And the way we do this, and I think I, I, don't, I didn't want us to walk away thinking, oh gosh, I need to figure out a mystical way to find God somewhere. I'm gonna look at the trees or look at the rainbows or see what's going on. The way we do this is taking in his word. The word, any words that a person says, it conveys who they are. It conveys what they are about. It conveys their mind and heart. If you can't speak the language of someone else, it is frustrating. You don't get to know them. But if you can understand them, and there is power in words, and we come together and we hear the words of a sermon, we, we sing these songs, we read the scriptures together, there is power in the words of us hearing the words. And I wanted us to remember that. And I close with just a few thoughts that I, I borrow from the late Dallas Willard in his book, Hearing God. He says this, what is essential to a person's word is the meaning given to it by that person. Through words, we literally give to others a piece of our mind. Through words, we may know their thoughts and feelings and share in their lives. Through words, we impact the soul sometimes with a great spiritual force. And this is the important power that Jesus was later referring to in John 15, 7, when he says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Abiding with him, he equates it with his words abiding in us to God. Before we give all of our problems and things to God, we listen to God. And he allows us to enter into his presence. This is a humbling thought. And I want to encourage you tonight, tomorrow morning, whenever it is, during lunch break, that you spend time with the one who loves you the most and is waiting to say, I can't wait to talk to you. Take the word with you and let it fill your souls. Let's pray.